I want to tell you a little story that I read uh, about a, a city in World War II uh, that had been bombed, the city of Strasbourg. And uh, they, there was a church there in Strasbourg, and the church was bombed out. The church building was destroyed. Uh, the, people, the, the people of the church, the, the church family there was, was distraught over the, the bombing of this building. And so they went down to the church building, and they discovered that in the midst of the rubble, their statue of Jesus hadn't been destroyed. And they were overjoyed that the statue of Jesus had survived this bombing. Well, there was one problem, though. As they, upon further inspection, upon closer inspection, they discovered that one of the beams had fallen from the raptor, uh, rafters and had sheared off the hands of Jesus. So here's the statue of Jesus with his arms out, but no hands. Well, a sculptor in town had said, I'll fix the statue for you. I'll be glad to fix the statue. I'll be glad to put new hands on the statue of Jesus. The church leadership met, and they talked about it for a little while. And they determined that, no, we don't want to replace the hands. We want this statue to serve as a reminder that it is we, the people of Jesus, the, the followers of Christ, we are his hands. And we will serve our brothers and sisters, and we will serve the world as the hands of Jesus, and we will minister to the world on his behalf. I think that's a cool story. I think that's really neat. And I think it serves as a good reminder that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as believers in Christ, we have a responsibility. We have a job to do. There's, uh, Jesus expects us to serve those in need, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. Today we are going to examine a passage that has a couple of misconceptions about it. And I want to clear up some misconceptions about this passage of Scripture. And you'll find it in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. And we're going to turn there in just a few minutes. You can grab your Bible and do that now. But um, we, uh, we're going to talk about who we, as Christians, who we are supposed to serve. And we're also going to talk about how we are saved for just a few minutes. Who we are to serve and how we are saved. Because again, I think there are some misconceptions that people have about these two concepts, especially as it relates to this passage of Scripture. We are going through a new sermon series uh, that we started a couple of weeks ago uh, called Going Home. And it's all about heaven and, and what heaven is like and how it take, and what it takes to get there and, and how we end up in heaven someday when, after we pass away or when Christ returns. How do we get to heaven? And what is heaven like? Two weeks ago, we talked about John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, where Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. And we talked about how uh, everyone is welcome in the Father's house. If you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he's got a room for you. He's left the light on for you. Okay? And then last week, we talked about what it is going to be like when Christ returns. We talked about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And we talked about how uh, when Jesus comes back, there are going to be signs that accompany his return. We'll talk a little bit about that in just a second, those, those signs. Um, next week, we are going to talk about Revelation. We're going to talk about the very end of the book of Revelation and what heaven will be like. And it's going to be really cool. It's going to be awesome to be in heaven. And next week, we're going to talk about what it's going to look like and, and what it's going to be like to be in Jesus' presence, to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever 
and ever. We're going to do that next week. But for today, we're going to talk about um, one aspect of judgment, and, and we're going to talk about the judgment of the righteous and the unrighteous. And how do you know if you are righteous or unrighteous? How do you know if you're a sheep or a goat? Because that's what this passage is about. Jesus talks about separating sheep from goats. So turn in your Bibles, if you haven't done it yet, turn to Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And we're going to talk about the sheep and the goats. Also, grab your bulletin, turn to page 3 to the handy-dandy outline. You can fill in some blanks starting now. The first blank on your outline is the separation. The separation. Look with me at Matthew 25, verses 31 through 33. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now these are the events. This is what's going to take place after Jesus returns. When Jesus Christ comes back, uh, there will be audible and visible signs of his return. Uh, first, the Bible says that every eye will see him. When Christ comes in power and glory, uh, coming on the clouds, the Son of Man comes, coming on the, comes on the clouds, he is going to come visibly. We will see him. Every eye will see him, the Bible says. He's also going, this, there will be audible signs of his return as well. Three of them, according to what we looked at last week in 1 Thessalonians. There will be a loud or commanding shout. When Jesus returns, there will be a loud shout. Uh, there will be the voice of the archangel. I don't know what that sounds like, but I bet it's pretty loud. There will be the voice of the archangel, and there will be the trumpet call of God. So we know that there will be three audible signs and at least one visible sign of his return. And that when he comes back, he will, we will rise from the earth, the dead will rise from their graves, and we will meet the Lord in the air. And we will spend eternity with him. That's what happens when Jesus comes back. After he returns, we read about in Matthew 25 uh, what's going to happen when we stand before him on his judgment throne. Uh, Jesus is going to separate all peoples, all the peoples of earth. He is going to separate them into two groups, like uh, as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. Now, you may have heard this before, and you're thinking, well, what is the difference between a sheep and a goat? Besides a, and a, there's more difference than that. Now, a shepherd in those days would, would separate the sheep from the goats at night. Sheep and goats would graze together during the day, during the heat of the day. But at night, you had to separate them because sheep could tolerate the cool of the night better than goats could. Because sheep have wool, right? They're woolly sheep, woolly lambs. Uh, and so the, the sheep could be separated from the goats. Uh, and uh, the goats don't have as much wool, don't have as much fur, uh, so they would get cold at night. They need to huddle up and, in order to stay warm in the cool of the night. So you have the sheep on the right, the goats on the left. Now, why does he put the sheep on the right? What he's saying is that the sheep are the righteous ones, the goats are the unrighteous, and he's going to tell us in just a minute why he separates them this way. But the sheep are put on his right because in those days, the right side of someone, the right hand of someone was considered a place of honor or power. So he is honoring the sheep by putting them on his right. It has nothing to do with politics, by the way. All right? And nothing to do with politics. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It has nothing to do with the bunny. There was a bunny. It started to go. I'm going to pull him back. But this is why Jesus is, the Bible says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. 
Jesus at the right hand of the Father because that is the position of power and honor. That is the position of glory. So that's where Jesus is. He's at the right hand of God the Father because that is the position of power and honor, right where Jesus belongs. That when he died for our sins on the cross and God raised him on the third day, he ascended into heaven and now he sits at the right hand of the Father, reigning in power and glory. And he is coming back. And we've talked about that the last couple of weeks. And next week we're going to talk about what it's going to look like when we go to be with him forever and ever and ever. Okay, so what is the basis for this separation? We're talking about the separation first. What is the basis for this separation where Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, puts the sheep on the right, the goats on the left? What is the basis for the separation? Look at verses 34 through 45. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, the sheep, They'll say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. Then they, they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. So he is saying that those who offer food and water, shelter and companionship to even the least of his brothers are the righteous ones because what they have done for the least of his brothers, they're doing it to him. Whatever they do for the least of their brothers, they do for Jesus because Jesus identifies with his brothers and his sisters. It is who Jesus identifies with. So who are the least of these brothers of mine? There are two main interpretations there are several interpretations, but two main interpretations about who the least of these brothers are when Jesus refers to this, uh, to the least of his brothers. Um, the first uh, uh, interpretation is it is anyone who is poor, needy, marginalized, uh, anyone who's in need, um, anyone who is poor and downtrodden, ostracized. Uh, that's the first interpretation. A lot of people look at it this way, that if there are hungry people, if there are thirsty people, if there are naked people who need clothing, people who need shelter, it's anyone, anywhere who's in need. Well, that's one interpretation. There's a second interpretation that I, I think and, and a lot of scholars think is a better interpretation, that it is the followers of Jesus who are in need. It's not anyone, it's not everyone, but it is followers of Jesus. And the reason why scholars believe that this is what Jesus had in mind is because of the way that the Gospel of Matthew uses the words brothers and either little ones or least of these. Whenever Jesus refers to his brothers or brothers and sisters, he is not referring to his physical family. He is referring to his spiritual family. That over and over again, Jesus is referring to his disciples when he talks about his brothers, when he talks about his sisters, he's talking about his followers. And then when the passage, when a passage uses the words least of these or little ones, 
uh, he's talking about his disciples in every case. So he's always talking about his brothers as uh, his disciples and his followers as his brothers and sisters, which is kind of cool when you think about it, that you and I are considered brothers and sisters of Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, but we are also brothers and sisters of Christ, that Jesus is not ashamed, the Bible says, to call us his brothers and to call us his sisters. We are part of his family. And he is saying that whatever you do for one of the least of these, even the least of your brothers and sisters in in my name, uh, whatever you do for them, you're doing it for me. So whatever you do for one of the least of these, uh, uh, whether they're hungry, thirsty, poor, naked, in prison, uh, friendless, um, whatever they are, whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers of Jesus, you do for him. Uh, And I think that that is really the best interpretation based on Matthew's gospel. So how the world treats Jesus' followers goes a long way in determining eternal life or eternal separation from God. Jesus separated those who mistreat Christians and those who mistreat his followers from those who treat them kindly. Now, a caveat about this. This is not to say that your good works save you. That by buying a t-shirt or buying a a, a coat or buying a bag of groceries for a brother or sister in Christ, that does not save you. Being a good person does not save you. Uh, Being kind to other Christians does not save you. No, the reason that we're kind to one another, the reason that we love one another, the reason that we care about one another and we care for one another is because we are already saved. It's because Jesus died for our sins and we have accepted his offer of salvation. We have believed in him, repented from our sins, confessed our faith and been baptized. That the reason that all of these things, uh, that we do all of these things for one another, we care for one another is because we are already saved. So our good works cannot save us. A lack of good works cannot condemn us. Rather, those who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus do good works for other believers. Because James says... That faith without works is what? Dead. Faith without works is dead. In other words, it is no good. You could say, I believe, I believe, I believe. But if you don't do anything, if your faith does not cause you to do anything for anyone else, if your faith does not spurn you on to good works, what good is your faith? It's no good at all, according to James. So many claim the name of Christ, but they never prove it by their works. So what happens? The judgment. That's the second blank on your outline, is the judgment. There are two possible outcomes of a life. Two possible eternal outcomes. There is reward and there is punishment. Those who treat uh, their brothers and sisters kindly will be rewarded. Those who mistreat or ignore Jesus' followers will face punishment and condemnation. So, When I think of this, I I think about persecution breaking out against Christians all over the world. I think about places like uh, Korea, North Korea. I think about places like China. I think about places like Saudi Arabia. I think about ISIS in the Middle East and the persecution breaking out against Christians where they go door to door. I I heard about this a couple weeks ago. They're going door to door and asking the children of Christian homes, asking the children if they are willing to give up their faith. And when the kids say no, they behead them in front of their parents. Oh my goodness, what is going on? We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters who are undergoing persecution. Persecution is not when they put a medium fry when you ordered a large fry at McDonald's. That is not persecution. Persecution 
is when your life is on the line. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world whose lives are on the line. We need to be praying for these folks. We need to be supporting missionaries who are over there. We'll talk about that in just a minute. We have to be praying for and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because Jesus says that he identifies and he indwells the hearts of his believers. Because what does he say? Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, or whatever you, you did it for me. Whatever you did not do for the least of these brothers of mine, you didn't do it for me. How is this possible? Because Jesus indwells the hearts of his people. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, there's two things that happen when you get baptized. First, your sins are forgiven. Second, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in your heart. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And what happens is, it's really awesome, is that the Spirit of God lives in you, the Spirit of Christ lives in you, and begins to change you from the inside out, and transform you, and makes you a child of God. That's awesome. But you have Jesus living in your heart. You have Jesus living in you. And so Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do it for me, because I'm living in that person. I'm dwelling in their heart. This is why when Paul... The Apostle Paul, before he became Paul, when he was Saul and he was going down the road uh, to Damascus and Jesus knocked him off his high horse, literally. Uh, this is why Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul's like, I never met you. He says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. See, what you do to my followers, what you do to my, my family, you do it to me. And you mess with, you mess with me, my family, you mess with me. You don't want to mess with Jesus' family. Okay, because what does he say? There's judgment. There's condemnation for those who do not treat his people kindly. And that includes us. That includes how we treat one another. It's not just about treating outsiders or outsiders mistreating us. It's how we treat each other in the church. It's so very important. So Jesus identifies with his followers. And how we treat them, we are treating him. So if Jesus' followers are hungry, what do we need to do? We need to feed them. If Jesus' followers are thirsty, we give them something to drink. We need to take care of their basic needs. We need to make sure we're taking care of one another. If Jesus' followers are homeless or they need shelter, we need to provide a place for them to live. If Jesus' followers are sick, we need to visit them. We need to pray for them. We need to care for them. You know, I, I didn't get to go to Cole's Benefit last night at the lodge. But let me tell you, uh, my wife and, uh, and my son went. And uh, I was doing a funeral last night down in St. John. And when I got home, I asked my wife, how did the benefit go? She said, Sean, there were so many people. And then she said this, there were so many people from our church. And I was so, I was filled with so much pride at a church family who cares about and loves one of our own enough that they're willing to go and support him at a benefit. And I know you're praying for him and you're, and you're helping out financially for him so that he's sick. And we know he's sick, and we want to see him get better, and, and he's got medical bills, and we're going to help support him through that. And, and, and that's important that we do that, that we care for one another, and that we love each other in a very practical way, because that's what this is about. It's, a, it's more than just saying, I love you. It's more than just giving a handshake or a hug on a Sunday morning. This is putting the rubber to the road. This is saying, I love you, and I'm going to show you that I love you. And that's what a church does. That's what we're supposed to do, is to care for one another, love each other, bear with each other, forgive each other, do all these things that we are called to do to bear each other's burdens. That's what the New Testament talks a lot about. Like in the book of Acts, it talks about how the early church treated one another and how important it was that they cared for one another. What did they do? 
We read about in, in the beginning of the book of Acts that when somebody had a need, somebody else would go and sell something of theirs, whether it be possession or whether it be property, and they would sell that in order to raise money, in order to help the people who had needs. They would come, they'd put the money at the apostles' feet and say, distribute it as you need to, give it to those people who are hungry, give it to the people who are, 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 are in need so that they, can, uh, they won't be in need anymore. And we are a part of that legacy. We're a part of the legacy of the, of the early Christians. We need to care for one another. Because there is coming a day when judgment is going to come upon us all. We are going to all stand before Jesus' judgment throne. And if you look at verse 46, it says, They, the goats, will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. When we treat each other well, and when we are kind to one another, and we are loving to one another in practical, tangible ways, we will be rewarded for that. Because how we treat each other is how we would treat Jesus. All right, look around the room for just a second. All right, I want you to look around. See these people in this room? You are looking at the face of Jesus. Because how you treat the people in this room is how you would treat Christ. Because the Spirit of Christ lives in them, lives in these folks. Does that make sense? And it's very important. It's very important. How you treat each other is how you would treat Jesus. So keep that in mind. Next time you, you know, get angry with the guy on stage. <laughs> I'm not Jesus, but Jesus lives in my heart. Okay? All right. The last blank on your outline is what are you doing for the least of these? What are you doing for the least of these? I want to highlight three ways that you can support the efforts of GFCC to reach out to the least of these brothers and sisters of Jesus. These are very practical ways that you can help out, and, and some of these are going to happen really soon. Uh, next week, number one, next week our outreach ministry is going to take up a special collection uh, for our holiday food baskets. And a couple of things about this. One, uh, we're going to take up the special offering. It, it's, it's an offering that is above and beyond your regular tithes and offerings. Uh, but please be prepared to come and give to that second offering to raise money uh, for the holiday food baskets. And the second thing I want to mention about these baskets is if you are in need or if you know of someone in need, uh, we want you to fill out a request form. And there are request forms on the table uh, uh, underneath the holiday food basket sign. Fill out a request form saying, yes, I have a need or I know someone with a need because we want to practically love people in Jesus' name and, and help provide for their needs. So make sure that, if, you, like I said, if you're in a crisis situation, you're in a desperate situation, you need food, sign up for a basket, okay? Let go of the pride, say, you know what? I need food. I got to eat. Sign up for a basket. Uh, if you have the opportunity to help uh, by supporting it offering-wise, or you have an opportunity to help by going to Costco and buying a case of green beans, there's seven forty-nine for 15 cans of green beans, and uh, it's a great deal, 50 cents a can, baby. You can bring those in, put them on the table. We'll make sure people get them. They'll have green bean casserole on Thanksgiving Day because that's what it's all about. You can't have Thanksgiving without green bean casserole, right? We need green beans. But let... You know, let GFCC help you by helping others. Uh, and, and, you know, there's another way that you can do this. The second thing I want to talk about um, uh, is uh, we have a, a, a benevolence fund. We don't talk about this very much, but I want to tell you, we have a benevolence fund. We have a line item in our budget for benevolence that when people are in a crisis situation, whether it be with their uh, NIFSCO for groceries, uh, other utilities, rent, you know, we try to help those the folks in our church as best we can. Well, 
we have limited funds in our, in, our, in our benevolence fund. And so next year, we're going to take up two different offerings, uh, one at the beginning of the year, one in the middle of the year, uh, to support that fund even more so we can help more people. Because that's what we want to do. We want to help people in Jesus' name. And, and so we're going to take up a couple offerings next year to support that benevolence line item uh, in uh, 2015. Because we want to increase the avail- availability of those funds for people. And so those special collections are going to go toward that. And if, again, if, you have a, if you're in a crisis situation, if you had a need, you know, and, and you're just tapped out and you don't know how you're going to make ends meet and you don't know how you're going to put groceries on the table, you don't know how you're going to keep the lights on, call me, call the elders, let us know about your situation, especially if you know things are starting to get tight. Don't wait till the last second. Uh, we have availability of funds that we can help you. Uh, but again, once that line item is gone, it's gone. So next year we want to take up a couple offerings to help increase the amount that we can help people. Uh, the last thing I want to highlight is the missions giving that we do as a church. 10% of all general fund offerings go toward missions here at GFCC. A, a, a dollar out of every $10 you give, $1 goes to missions. Okay, out of every thousand dollars you give, a hundred dollars goes to missions. Hint, hint. Um, no, it's missions giving is very important. We have missionaries around the world and we have missionaries here locally at home, too. And we provide and take care of our missionaries. And we think it's very important that we take care of our missionaries. Um, we have uh, like there's Alfred in, in Africa. Uh, there's Eldon Potts in the Philippines. Uh, there's uh, Phyllis down in Colombia. We've got those missions and others that are around the world that we help uh, provide for. We also have some local missions like Camp LRCA down in Crown Point. Uh, we've got the Oblong Christian Children's Home down in Oblong, Illinois. Uh, there's um, uh, there was one other that I, I thought of that I wanted to tell you about that I wanted to highlight and. Um, Oh, we have, a, we have a International Disaster Emergency Services that provides disaster relief around the world. Also, we have a brand new missionary that we just started supporting this quarter. His name is Gene, and he is a missionary to Purdue Cal. He's part of a, a ministry called Ratio Christi that teaches kids. Uh, I call them kids. They're half my age. Of course, they're kids. Uh, but I, they, they teach young people about Jesus on the college campus. Uh, and they uh, also teach Christians how to defend their faith. And Gene's going to come and he's going to present some apologetic stuff to us somewhere in the near future. Uh, he's told us that he'd love to do that. Our missionaries can do so much with so little. I mean, they can know, really know how to stretch a dollar. And we, as a church, are playing a small part in spreading the gospel throughout the world uh, by supporting those missionaries. And so, here's a, we don't talk about money a lot here, okay? We just don't. We don't talk about dollars and cents. We don't talk about budgets very much except once a year. Um, but I want to encourage you uh, that, again, every 10 cents of every dollar you give goes to missions. So if, if you increased your giving $5 a week, that'd be 50 more cents to a missionary every week. That's $26 a year. You increased your offerings by a dollar uh, by $10 a week, that'd be 52 more dollars to a missionary every year. And so every dollar you increase your giving, That means more money goes out into the kingdom because that's what we're all about. Uh, We're not about building up savings accounts. We're not about building up balances and budgets. We're about helping people follow Jesus because that's what we want to do is we want to help people follow Jesus. So the offerings that you give go toward not only helping us help us people, not only go toward helping us help people follow Jesus here in Griffith, but it's all over the world. It's all over the world. And that's what this is all about, is about supporting uh, missions, supporting missionaries, uh, is about putting 
faith in action and helping people follow Jesus by loving them in Jesus' name and providing for their needs, whatever those needs are. Now, when it comes to the management of our funds and the stewardship of God's money, I want you to know our leaders are, take that responsibility very, very seriously. And whether it's helping people follow Jesus here or helping people follow Jesus around the world, that's what we're all about. And they take that responsibility seriously. They don't take it lightly. So I want you to know that you can trust the leaders of our church to be wise stewards of that which God has provided. Because they take it seriously, this idea of ministering to our community, ministering to our world, and ministering to our church. So in, uh, what I really want to wrap this up is I want to let you know that whatever you are doing for the least of Jesus' followers, and you may say, well, I am the least of Jesus' followers. Whatever you are doing for the least of Jesus' followers, you are doing for him. So keep that in mind as you figure out how you can help support the kingdom. Keep that in mind as you look around the room, as you look around your church. How can you help people follow Jesus, and how are you treating Jesus it's in how you are treating one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that uh, the Spirit of Christ dwells in us and that Jesus lives in us. And we want Jesus to live through us. We want to treat each other kindly and to love each other and care for each other the way we would treat and care for and love Jesus. Thank you for these words of encouragement and, and I pray that you would help us to take them seriously. That we would truly be on the lookout for how we can care for one another and love each other and strengthen each other and build each other up. Pray, Father God, today that you would help us to be like the sheep and that we would reach out in a practical way and love other people, especially those who belong to the family of faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name.